Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or have downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I want to chat with you about. One thing I just want to really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people um, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street. We would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with. After all, this is God's plan to push back what's dark in the world. The local church is to be a light, and we pray that you would find that. I hope that this sermon blesses you. May God bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word. Oh, good morning, church. How are we? Good? No one's good. Okay. Every week we go through this. I ask the same question. How are we doing? If you're not doing good, you don't have to. I don't want to make it fake. I just want to hear some sort of feedback. Um, I'm just really excited to be here this morning. Uh, there's a couple things I want to just talk about real quick. Some stuff I just failed to tell Adam. Um, and so uh, I'm not taking Adam's job. We're trying to steal his thunder. I just forgot to tell him some stuff. Um, some of it was pretty obvious. Like there's this big black thing over here. Um, just some exciting stuff going on. Um, man, so we're turning a room into a nursery. Uh, a couple weeks ago, this is what happened. We had uh, a, a, a lot of people started coming to church here. Um, a lot of kids started coming to church. And our kids director, Amy, after a Sunday, she came up to me. Can I tell a story? I'm going to tell a story. I didn't ask her. I should have. Um, like, what? Could she have said no right then? I'm not even sure <laughs> if that was a possibility. Um, so she came up to me, and she's like, Zach, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to cry. <laughs> and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about what we're going to do. Um, so that was a Sunday. That Monday, we started working on getting some stuff for, for another kid's room. So we're excited. Um, you know, we uh, did some things with some, some flooring in the kid's room. So there's this bright, colorful flooring, uh, you know, so kids can fall down like my kids often do. Uh, my daughter, Salome, doesn't walk super well. Um, she's three, so she should. But um, she doesn't, and she trips. So we're excited about that. Um, and also, what that means, though, is we're going to need more volunteers. And so we need, we need people who, uh, you know, can hold babies. We need people who can uh, pray for babies while they're holding them and just whisper gospel truths in their ear and just love on them. And so uh, that's kind of what we're looking for. So that's something that you might be interested in. I kind of want to explore that. You can talk to Amy, uh, our kids director after church, the next couple of weeks as we, as we try and get this going. Um, so that's really exciting. We're excited about that. Uh, there was something else I don't remember now either. So we'll just move on, I guess. The parenting class. Margie wants me to talk about the parenting class again. She's really excited about it. I am too. Uh, these are some friends Margie's made online. Um, and so this family who, who does uh, an online parenting class um, called Toddler Training, they are uh, going to do a parenting class for us here uh, for free. Uh, and so, so it's not paying for their course. They've decided just to bless us and help us parent well. Um, and so what we do in our, our philosophy here at the Grove is that parents disciple their kids. We're not just after behavior modification. That's easy, right? I mean, I could make sure my kids behave, uh, but I may not ever change their heart. 
Um, and so we're going after the heart. We're, our, our job as parents is to lay as much kindling at the heart of our kids as possible and just pray that God ignites that and they change. And so um, they're going to help us really start to, to talk about and ask some questions about how can we influence our kids for Christ? How can we uh, disciple our kids' hearts and shepherd their hearts well? Um, and so, so we're going to be doing that uh, August 4th here at 10 a.m. Um, it'll be two hours of some training, uh, then we'll have an hour of a Q&A, so we should be out of here by 12, 31 o'clock-ish, uh, depending on how much Q&A you guys have. Um, so I'd like to have an hour of Q&A, because they have a lot of practical tools and tips and helps that's helped our family tremendously. And so if you have kids, you want to have kids, you have grandchildren, uh, whatever it may be, this, this is a day you don't want to miss. Um, I know there's a lot of people standing, there are a few seats, there's like a, a couple seats here if you guys want to come over and sit down. You don't have to, um, if you like standing, uh, that's totally fine, but... There are like two or three, four seats left. Um, all right, so, so, man, I'm excited. So, so this, this week, we, we just finished 11 weeks of Esther. This week, we're going to start a new sem- sermon series, um, and, and we've titled that Family Traits, and I want to share why with a quick story. Um, so Elium, uh, Margie does women's discipleship group uh, or, or book study group. We don't really have a name for it. We're not that creative. Women get together at my house on Wednesdays, and they meet and talk about God. I don't know what we call that. Um, so they do that, and so I get kicked out of my house every Wednesday, uh, and I take my kids with me, and uh, I got to get out of there early because the parking situation gets precarious, and I don't know if I'll get out, so I leave early, and I get, uh, I leave, and so we're driving, we get some food, and we're driving to the church, uh, we're going to come out here and we're just work on some things, and my son says this, he says, Daddy, I want to poop, and I said, buddy, like, we're almost to the church, can you just hold it, because he's in a booster seat, and it would get messy, so I was just like, buddy, can you hold it? He says, oh, no, Daddy, I don't have to. I just want to. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to do with that. Like, I don't, and, and so I told Margie this story, and she's like, well, he's his daddy's son. Like, that's you joke about poop all the time, and so he jokes about poop. Um, and so, um, you know, families have certain traits, and I guess one of our traits is talking and, and joking about poop. I guess a better example may have been uh, if you've ever seen my son Elium as a baby, and you see my son Valor now, they're like twins, just five years apart. Um, they look identical. It's hard. Margie uses this social media thing called Time Hop, which like shows her pictures from the past. And sometimes she'll show me pictures. I'm like, oh, I didn't know we took the Val- picture of Valor doing that, but it wasn't. It was Elium. And so uh, families look alike. Families are messy. Families um, are good. They can be great. They can be messy. They can be hard. There can be a lot of heartbreak in families, but families do have certain traits. You have certain traditions, certain rituals that you do as a family. You have just these traits. And so at the Grove, we are a family. We are a family of God. We're part of a larger family of God, uh, of the church universal, but we are a family here. And, 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 and we, we celebrate, and we have certain rituals. We do certain things. We do things a certain way, and we emphasize certain things. Um, and so what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks is, is really just the family traits of being here at the Grove Church. Um, and so we want to talk about what it looks like to be a family here at the Grove. And so I'm just, my, my prayer is that through the next several weeks, as you hear about why we emphasize certain things, why we talk about certain things and do things the way we do, coming from Scripture, that you would just see and be encouraged about the, you know, you, you get encouraged to get plugged in and be a part of the family of God here um, in life at this church. And so today... We're going to talk about the first part of our mission statement, which is we exist to see God glorified and enjoyed. And so we're going to talk about why that's the beginning of our mission statement here at the Grove. And so we, uh, Adam already read it, but it's John 11, verses 1 through 6. I want to just read a couple things here. I'm going to read uh, through most of it again. I'm going to read 1 through 4 again. 
It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus in Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I'll read the sexy verses. Uh, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when they heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And so there's three things I want you to see in the story. The first thing is that Jesus chose to let Lazarus die. That was a choice he made. Um, It was something that he wanted to do. When he heard he was sick, verse 6, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. There was no hurry. There was no intention to spare the family of grief. He chose to let Lazarus die. And the reason why he did that is he was motivated for the passion of the glory of the Lord made manifest in his power. Verse 4, it says, This sickness is not to end in death, but the glory of God, so the Son of, of God may be glorified in it. So the reason why we exist to see God glorified in joy is because the Bible says the reason why everything happens is to glorify God. That God is for his own glory. God is for God. God is for the praise of his glorious grace, the praise of his glorious name. Everything he does is to be praised and to be glorified. I want to, I wanna, in, in case you think we're just proof texting and just picking out one story and saying, hey, this is, this is what the Bible says, I want us to, to look through several verses here. Uh, God created us for his glory, Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. It says, bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, every one who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. God rescued Israel from Egypt for his own glory, Psalm 106, 7 through 8. It says, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might, be, he might make known his mighty power. God raised Pharaoh up to show his power and glorify his name. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, Romans 9, 17, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 1 Samuel 12, 22 and 22, I'm sorry, uh, 12, 20 and 22 says, God, uh, do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. John 14, 13 says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus said he answers prayers, that God will be glorified. John 12, 27 and 28 now, now is my soul troubled? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. John 17, 1, for Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out the transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. J- God forgives our sins. For his namesake. I can go on and on and on and on and on. And if you want these verses, I'll be glad to email. If you're going to email me today and tell me why you think uh, God's not for his glory, I'll just send you all these verses and we can talk. That's totally fine. But God is for his glory. The Bible makes it clear everything he does is for his glory. God is for God. God is for God. And now, now there's a couple things that happens when we talk about this. Um, there's a, a few ways to stumble through this truth. Man, maybe you know someone who's all about himself or herself, and you don't like that person. 
You ever meet anyone who all they do is talk about themselves, all they want to do is be praised, and you just don't like that person? I think that's a real, a real way to stumble. And it happens all the time. Oprah, you guys know who Oprah is? She's kind of getting like out of mainstream maybe, I don't know. Oprah, she had an issue with this. Oprah, when she was 27, she walked away from Orthodox Christianity because she did not understand how God could be jealous for her. How God could be jealous um, and, and demanded her highest allegiance and affection. That didn't sound loving for her. Brad Pitt, he turned away from his boyhood faith because he says, you have to say, because he believed that God said that you have to say he's the best. And he said it seemed all about his ego. Even C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, he complained that God's demand to be praised sounded like a vain woman who wants compliments. So, I mean, it's a, it, I understand. While people could, could have some issues with this idea that God is for God. But here's what we believe. That God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. So if, if, if that truth is true, that God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him, then there is no conflict between your greatest happiness and joy and God's greatest glorification. God is for his glory, and that is the best news in the Bible that God is for his glory alone, that God is for God, that God is not for us, for our sake, but he's for us, for his glory. That's good news, because that, what, what that frees it up is, is that if God is for himself, then to be glorified, he has to love us with the greatest love possible. Think about, think about marriage for a second. This is the example we've always used here, is, is if you go to a wedding, which I, some of you guys went to yesterday, that's where all this food came from, was from a wedding. Um, you go to a wedding, and you, you go there, and you're sitting there, and the bride and the groom, they walk up, and it's like these, they do these, the exchange of the vows, and it's like, do you promise to love this person for the rest of your life? Richer or poorer, sick and in health, do you promise, do you, do you promise to love them? How glorifying of marriage would it be if they said, well, my dad paid for all this food, so I guess I better. Like, that's not, that's not glorifying a marriage, right? Marriage, but what happens when you go to a wedding? Man, people are like hugging and, and wives and husbands who haven't touched in, in a year have their arm around each other because there's just this thing in the air that's like, this is great. This is awesome. Because it's glorified because you see these two people who are deeply in love with each other, exchanging these vows, making this covenant to love each other no matter what. And that makes marriage great. And so the good news of God being for his glory is that he's not for a begrudging submission. He's not after us, our behavior modification. He's not after that. He's not after us saying, I better do this or else he's going to get me. He's not after, I better read my Bible or he's going to give me a bad day. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for your greatest affection. He's looking for you to treasure him above all else, not just to do things for him. Now that treasuring and that affection will lead to life change, but if God is the one who's for self-exaltation, that's the most loving act because the way he's exalted is by us loving him the most, loving him above all other things. And the way he chases after that love is through his kindness. It's through his, his love. It's, it's, so if we exalt ourselves, if God was to exalt us, if, he, if, if we went to heaven and, and it was just us being exalted for God's prize, that, wouldn't be, that would be such a letdown because we already know ourselves. We get to heaven, and heaven is about exalting Jesus and Christ for e- or Jesus to Christ for eternity, and it's just an infinite time of getting to know Jesus and exalting Him and praising Him and worshiping Him. It's to glorify God. Everything God does is for His glory. 
He is an infinitely glorious, all-satisfying God, offering us everlasting and supreme joy in himself. And that's the problem to our solution. So Oprah, if God was not, for our, our, was not jealous for our affections, he would be indifferent to our misery. He wouldn't care about our misery, but he's jealous for our affections. To Brad Pitt, if God didn't demand that you see him as the best, he wouldn't care about your supreme happiness. And C.S. Lewis, if God is not vain and demanding your praise, then in th- this is his, or God is not vain and demanding his, your praise, this is his highest virtue and your highest joy. God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. God is after your heart. He's after your affection. So my, man, my hope is that you would see this. And, 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 and we see this throughout the Bible and other places too, this, this, this tying back. And so Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always Christ will be honored or glorified or magnified in my body, whether by life or death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says the greatest passion in his life, and I hope this is your greatest passion in your life, is to see Christ as great, and that his life would be poured out so others would see Christ as great, as supremely great, to see Christ for who he is. That's why God created us. That's why God has saved us, was to, to worship him forever, to glorify him forever. And that's incredible news for us. It's the greatest news for us. I want to go back to the story and practically see this. I want to read it again because this is an incredible story. I think we often miss what's happening here. John 11, verses 1 through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and the sister Martha. So Lazarus is sick. Verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So he's saying this illness won't lead to death. It's going to to glorify God. The reason why this is happening is to glorify God. And what we read next is so key. We have to get this. Now, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. Jesus loved these people. I mean, he loved them. He loved them with a great love. And so verse 6, so, what does that mean? Because of that great love, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place with his disciples. Why did Jesus not hurry to go save Lazarus? Why didn't he hurry to go mourn with his friends? Because he loved them. It was his love that motivated his slow, slow act in going and in, in, in raising Lazarus from the dead and even maybe stopping Lazarus from dying. It wasn't his indifferent. It wasn't his not caring. It was his love that said, I'm going to let my friend die so that it might glorify my father and the, his power through and in me. And that's why he did it. And so we, we think about our lives. Like, this gives us a whole new lens on which to look at our lives. We can look back on our lives, and we can think about a lot of stuff that happened to us, good stuff and bad stuff. And we, we, can, we can really, some, we look at some of the bad stuff, we can really think that God's just been indifferent 
Why is God so far from me? Why is he not, why is he not caring? Why is he slow to act? What if our perception of God being slow to act is really his love? That in his being slow to act, what he's actually doing is giving us more of what we actually need, which is him. What if in that being slow to act, he's doing things that will allow us to glorify him all the more and have greater joy? See, we can, when we, we can look at our lives and we can go back and look at our lives. And we did this uh, 10 weeks ago where I encourage everyone to look at your life through the, through the lens of the providence of God. And I hope you did that and looked at the things God did in your life. And you can see some of those things and maybe some of those things can make you angry. Like, why would God let this happen? I don't know how it all fleshes out, but I'll tell you why God let it happen. Because he loves you, he let that happen. Maybe he didn't cause it. Nowhere in this text does it say Jesus killed Lazarus, but he didn't hurry. He didn't show up when they wanted him to. He showed up when he should, in the, in, in the moment that would bring the most glory to his father through his power in him. And that was because of his love. So many people today, even Christians, would murmur at Jesus just callously letting Lazarus die and putting him, Mary, and Martha, and others through so much pain and misery for days. We would say that's wrong. But really, he was motivated by his desire to magnify the glory of God. We would call that harsh and unloving. But what this shows is how far above the glory of God we value comfort and pain-free living. I was talking with a friend this week, and we're talking about you go on a road trip, and what do you pray for? For safety. Why do we pray for that? Because we value safety above all else. I'm not saying it's wrong to tell God your preferences, but what if we prayed something different? What if we prayed, God, then this road trip, like, just draw me nearer to you. Whatever that means, whatever that brings, I just want to know you more. If that means there's suffering and pain, bring on the suffering. That's what Paul would say in Philippians to live is Christ, to die is gain. That I may know him in the power of the resurrection and share in the su his sufferings. We pray for things sometimes that we don't actually need. What we need is to know him and the one who sent him. That was Jesus' great prayer in, in John 17, was that we would know him, the Father, and the one whom he sent. We're in, yeah. It's just this, it's this, it's this incredible thing. We, it, it changes the way we look at everything. We shouldn't tell Jesus what love is. We shouldn't say, Jesus, you know, it would have been more loving for you to show up right away and help them right away. We can't let the, the most loving person on earth, we, we can't decide for him what love looks like. So, so early on in the church, when we kind of talked about our mission statement, that we exist to see God glorified and enjoyed, the question was asked, why aren't we talking more about love? Why, why, I mean, like, why isn't to love God, to love others, to love the world, to love the community, to love Spruce Pine? Our mission statement absolutely talks about love. We just decided to define it the way the Bible defines it. That the greatest love on earth is that we would help people see God in all the glory that he is and to enjoy him forever. Not just to, to have this fleeting love or this thing, but this to really to know him. To know who he is. To know what he does. What he does for us. So, so here's what has to happen. Here's what has to happen after today. We have to get to a point where you get over you. 
We have to get to a point where your life is no longer about you. And your life is about the glory of God. And this is in your best interest. I don't use the term happy a lot because I don't like the word. I don't want to ever be, someone to be like, Zach's preaching the prosperity gospel. But let me tell you something. If your life is for the glory of God and you have that lens and you work to glorify God in all that you do, I 100% believe you'll be happier. I think there's a deeper joy that you'll have even more and more important. But man, I just think you'll be happier. Because when this life isn't about you, things are easier. Like when, when life isn't about you and you get cut off on the interstate, you don't have to get super angry because they're not trying to, they're not after you. When you, go to, when you go to the store to return something and the line's super long and the cashier's rude, if life's about you, that's going to turn into a whole thing. It's going to be this whole event. You're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated because, man, you, how dare Walmart make you wait this long just to take back their broken crap? But if life's not about you, man, life is just easier. If, if everything's about you, when you get home from work, man, you just expect your spouse to serve you, to be there for you, and to be doing the things that you want them to do. But when life's not about you, you come home from work and you can just serve your spouse. You can serve your neighbors. You can serve others. Man, when life's about you, life is tiresome. Life is burdensome. Like, it is hard to live this life for yourself because everything's offensive. Everyone's against you. You start to get paranoid. When the kids start acting up, the volume gets cranked up. You get angrier because how dare your kids disrespect you? When life's about you, life is way harder. If you would just get over you, your life would be easier. Your life would be happier. You would have a deep joy glorifying God in all things. Because when life's not about you and your kids act up, and you see them as a sinner who needs Jesus, and you see yourself as someone God has decided to put in their life to help disciple them. And you're just in the hands of God, just tools to disciple your kids. When life's not about you, when you get home and, and, and your spouse hasn't done the things you think your spouse should do, we could talk about whether that should exist at all later. But when you get home and you think that, that you know, they've slighted you because they haven't done the things they should do, you just roll up your sleeves and you get to work. It's second shift. Like, this is life not being about you. And, and, and will you be tired and exhausted? Absolutely. Physically, you will be tired and exhausted. And men, talk to the men for a second. If you're not going to bed tired and exhausted, something's wrong. God did not make men to be lazy. God did not make men to, to, <laughs> to be served, but to serve and so we should be going to bed tired. And women, too, should be going to bed tired, exhausted, just serving others. But, but this happiness, this joy, this rest is not always a physical thing. Think about it. How many of you guys get so tired, you decide for a weekend, I'm just going to binge on Netflix? Anyone ever done that? I've done it. I talked last week how I watched like three seasons of 24 in two weeks. So I've done it. It, we, it, was, it wasn't Netflix. Well, it was, but it was a DVD Netflix. Um, I had to get three at a time. It was the whole thing. But there, we, we binge on Netflix. Now, are you, are you rested after that, or are you just more tired? I'm more tired. Watching Netflix is exhausting. <laughs> it is. It really is. I mean, like, you sit there for a, for a whole night, and you watch Netflix, and you're just like, I'm just groggy. Like, I'm hazy. I'm tired. Like, I just can't believe I, how tired I am. 
But I go outside and I get to work doing the things my wife likes me to do around the house. And I take the trash out and playing with the kids and getting tired that way. There's something in my soul that's just not tired anymore. I'm actually energized. I'm not physically, I may be like, I'm going to pass out. But inside, man, I'm just joyful, energized, and excited. Our life is to be about others, about God supremely, and others to help enjoy God all the more. This changes everything. And I want to look at just a few spiritual things that it changes here at the Grove. And so when we talk about conversion, people coming from death to life, for us, when we preach the gospel, when we talk about conversion and coming to Christianity, it is not about intellectually believing the Bible is true. Because anyone can do that. The, the demons believe the Bible is true. They believe God's real. They've seen him in a way that we haven't. What we want is for people to treasure Christ above all else. Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Becoming a Christian doesn't only mean believing this is true, but it's treasuring Christ above all else. So it changes conversion. Evangelism doesn't come, become about persuasion about truth, but it's persuasion that Jesus is more valuable than everything you have. It changes how we fight sin and combat evil in our lives. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Evil is the suicidal preference of trying to find joy in broken cisterns, the things of this world, instead of finding the joy in God. And so there is a sense where we, what we do is we fight evil and we fight against our sin, but another part of what we do when we try and fight evil and try and fight the sin in our lives is we glorify and magnify the glorious grace of God. We call that vivification, where we try and bring in the things in our lives that glorify God. You, you'll hear us talk about it like what stirs your affections for Christ. Surround yourself in those things. It changes this idea of self-denial. And self-denial is a real thing. God tells us to do it. Mark 8, 34 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. But now, with this new outlook of everything's for the glory of God and for our joy, denying yourself the wealth of this world isn't so bad because you have the wealth of knowing Christ. And being with him. Denying yourself the fame of this world is that you have the joy of God's approval. Denying yourself the security and safety of this world is that you have a solid, secure foundation and fellowship of Jesus. Denying yourself the short, unsatisfying pleasures of this world so you can have the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in God's hands. Like, these self-denial isn't something that's so bad. It changes the way we think about money and handle our money and, and the act of giving. Acts 20, 35 says this is more blessed to give than it is to receive. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The motivation to be a generous person is not, this, um, is, is not that we would express it in, in outward and, and try and earn God's favor, but our motivation for generosity is not what we give, but what we can give others. And that's where our joy comes from. It changes the way we do ministry. What is the greatest ministry 
the greatest aim of Paul's ministry. In 2 Corinthians 1.24, he says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. That's why God created you, for your joy, for his glory, and for your joy. It's why God has saved you, for his glory, and for your joy. It's why I pastor this church, is for his glory and your joy. It's why we serve the way we serve. It's why we do the things we do here is for God's glory. And so as we think about, hey, you know, what kind of things are we going to do here at the Grove Church is always through the filter. Is this going to glorify God? Is this going to make much of God or is this going to make much of us? Is this something that I just want to do because I want to be the the face of this thing? Is this going to make much of God? Is this going to be for the joy of his people or is this a burdensome thing that we're trying to put on his people? God is most glorified When you are most satisfied in him. That is a saying that will change everything. It changed my life in the early 2000s, and it will change your life if you can just grab hold of that idea. That God's not trying to rob joy from you. He's trying to give you the greatest joy. So when he says that this is how sex is to be done, inside of a loving covenant relationship of marriage, then having sex outside of marriage is not, or the, the, the command not to have sex outside of marriage isn't to rob anything from you, but it's to give you the greatest fullness of joy. And God says, this is the way you to are to enjoy his gifts, food. Then saying, don't eat too much and don't be a glutton isn't to rob you the joys of his creation, but it's to give you the greatest joy possible. To say, don't get drunk, you may enjoy alcohol if you have self-control, but don't, don't, don't drink it if you're going to get drunk. That is not to rob anything from you but it's to give you the fullness of joy. Like these, these things, like it changes everything. The idea that we are to gather together regularly isn't just to steal mornings and nights away from you, but it's to give you the greatest possible joy as you glorify him. And so I want to pray. We're going to sing a song together, and then we're going to baptize two people. Two people who have gone from death to life who have decided to glorify God and to treasure him above all else. And they're going to come up here and they're going to share their story um, of being brought from death to life. Uh, And then we're going to get them in the water and we're going to symbolically put them in the grave with Christ and up again in his glory. And so I'm excited. So I'll pray for us. um, And then we'll close with uh, a song. We'll baptize and then we'll sing again together as a congregation with uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I just uh, come before you, Lord. Just thankful for everything that you do, Lord. I'm thankful that you're for you and you're not for us. That your highest aim isn't to exalt us or to, to, to be for us, but it's to be for you and that, and that we get to be for you. We, we get to love you and be with you and stand with Christ as a brother, as a sister, Lord. That he's the firstborn among many. God, and we get to glorify you, Lord. And in that, we find the joy of the world. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just draw our hearts near to you, God, that um, we would treasure you above all else, Lord, that we would sell all that we have if it meant we could have more of you. We'd give up anything in our life, any TV shows or any hobbies or any uh, expectations in my marriage, if, if it means I could have more of you. I pray you draw our hearts to you, Lord. I pray for Christian and Candace, Lord, as they come up after the song to share your story in and through them, Lord. I pray that you would just be with them, God, that you'd speak through them, you'd speak the wondrous works that only you could do in their lives. Um, that I pray that we would be blessed in hearing it um, and we could just join in the excitement of seeing them go down in death and up in life 
We love you, and it's for the praise of your glorious name that we pray. Amen.